Let's read together from God's Word. We focus for the fifth time in this current Sunday morning series on the promises of God. This morning, as you heard from Laura, God's promise to supply all our needs. God's promise to supply our needs. We, well, there were many scriptures that we could have read from, but I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 4. Paul's letter to the first century church in Philippi, chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. And Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned the to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent me. For they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these familiar scriptures. We ask, Father, that uh, you might speak to us afresh and new, maybe remind us of perhaps uh, truths that uh, have fallen to the back of our mind. Nevertheless, Lord, as we focus upon this wonderful promise, the supply of God, will you just speak to our hearts, that our hearts might rejoice afresh in all that we know and enjoy in Jesus. And in his name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. No prizes for guessing what our text is this morning, of course. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. This morning I want to talk about the God who has more than enough. The God who has more than enough. There's a lot of doom and gloom in our world today, wouldn't you agree? If one's only hope comes from the evening news, then you are a person most miserable. As Christians, however, if we are not careful, 
it is easy for us to lose our focus and begin to accept what we see and what we hear. In this day of economic stress and difficulty, we as Christians need to be reminded about not what, but who our source is. If we really believe, brethren, really believe that God is our source, and that He is a God who was more than enough, if we really believe this, then our worries are over. I don't understand people who say that they believe the promises of God, but then go on worrying about what has happened, about what is happening, or about what might happen. Especially when they've prayed about it. Friends, if you're going to worry, then don't pray. And friends, if you're going to pray, then don't worry. As we focus on verse 19, let's endeavor to understand the context, because as you know, context is important. A verse out of context very easily becomes a pretext. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a young church. These churches to whom the Apostle Paul wrote, were young in their faith, certainly by our standards, didn't have at their disposal the kind of scriptures that we are blessed with. They, they could certainly peruse, I'm sure, uh, the, the, the Pentateuch and the Old Testament scriptures, the, the Lord of Moses, but they, but they didn't enjoy, like we enjoy, the riches of the New Testament. They may have had little snippets of Paul's writings here and there, but, but not as a canon of Scripture the way you and I have. These are the kinds of people to whom the Apostle Paul was writing. And he begins chapter 4 by stressing the importance of teamwork. He's endeavoring to settle, it seems, a disagreement between two Christian women. Euodia and Syntyche, these were members of the Philippian church. And by their disharmony, they had unsettled the church, it seems. They had brought division into the church. Division and disharmony within the confines of the Christian church. Nothing new here, it seems to me. Paul uses these two women as kind of examples to launch into an entire chapter on peace. He doesn't ask these women to act uniformly, but rather to be of the same mind. For in the original Greek text, he uses the word harmony. He seeks for them to know harmony. Not necessarily uniformity. Those of us who sing from week to week with the Trashland Community Choir know 
that uh, singing in harmony doesn't necessarily mean singing in unison. Is that right? Yeah. Paul endeavors to bring harmony where there is disharmony. And he's not necessarily saying that you must be uniform. You must all think the same things at the same time. But you must have the same mind in Christ. The Apostle Paul had been in prison. And the Philippian Christians had sent him funds. But something had prevented, for some time at least, those funds from from being sent, from that, that support, from, from continuing. And some scholars suggest that it was this disharmony. The church in their disharmony had become dysfunctional. It wasn't functioning as a church should. And the church should have been meeting the needs of the apostle. They had met his needs, but there had been a hiatus, it seems. The Apostle Paul alludes to this, and perhaps this disharmony had prevented the Philippians from continuing in their ministry. Friends, we need to be careful of disharmony within the confines of the Christian church, because such disharmony can prevent the church from functioning the way it should as we seek to be salt and light to the lost and dying, as we seek to to support each other in this uh, walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the church had sent money, they'd sent clothes to the Apostle Paul, and somehow, some way, uh, the, the, the gifts had finally continued. They got through, through uh, the God's servant Epaphroditus. And so by way of commendation, by way of encouragement, Paul goes on to say that because they were obedient, because they were faithful, God would supply their needs. God would be faithful to them because they had been faithful to God. Verse 19, and God, my God, he says, will supply, will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So the context here is one of, it seems to me, of, of unity. One of harmony. And as we enjoy harmony within the confines of the church, then we have this promise that we can, that we can lay hold of. The supply of God. Three simple thoughts. Firstly, I want to make the point that there is a supply. There is a supply. Webster defines supply as to provide for. I want to go back uh, into the original Greek text and, and grapple with the word that the Apostle Paul used here for, for supply. Because according to the origin of the word, the word supply was only used when what you were providing was complete. In other words, to use the word supply as the Apostle Paul used it, 
You had to have done such an adequate job of providing, of supplying, that nothing else could be done. You with me? So, this is comprehensive supply. Paul is saying, my God shall supply all your needs. Comprehensively. So that there will be no need left. Wow. That's something, isn't it? It's one thing to be in need of a hundred pound and perhaps someone contribute to that need and give you a tenner. That's something, isn't it? But you see, our God is not like that. We have a need. And He comes... To meet us at our need. Not by contributing to the need. Hey my child, your need's a hundred pound. I'll give you a tenner. No. No, 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 no. He says, you have a need. I'm not going to contribute to that need. I'm going to supply your need. Your need is a hundred pound, my child. Here's a hundred pound. Hallelujah. Isn't that something? And the reason why God can do this is because God not only has everything, He owns everything. The 24th Psalm declares that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Now, let me put something to rest here, brethren. You and I, we don't own anything. Ah, you see, pastor, I have a deed lodged with the solicitor that tells me I own my house. Au contraire, my friend. Au contraire. You are simply a trustee of what is owned by Almighty God. Ah, yeah. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, then you own nothing. We don't even own ourselves, as it happens. The Holy Writ says God owns the world and everything that is in the world. And that is why our God is able to use all the resources of heaven and all the resources of earth because He owns heaven and He owns the the earth. It's all His. And that is why He is able to supply all our needs out of His glorious riches says the Apostle Paul. He doesn't simply contribute. He supplies. There is this morning, my friend, a divine supply. And the Holy Spirit comes so lovingly and gently to you and I and says, fret not, my child. I will meet all your needs. Secondly, I want to ask the question, a supply for what? When it comes to supply and demand, 
our God works from the angle of supply, not from the angle of demand. God has promised to supply our needs. Not our wants, as we've already heard this morning. Our needs. He does so with or without a demand, it seems to me. There are needs that are met regardless of our our relationship with God. The scripture says the sun sets on the just as well as on the unjust. This, of course, is known as God's common grace. We've given thanks to God for what we need, our fresh air. Whilst we as Christians breathe fresh air, so those outside these doors who are not Christians, Don't acknowledge God at all. Maybe even use God's name in vain. As it happens, they breathe fresh air. Is that just? It's called common grace. God extends His common grace to those both within His kingdom and those without His kingdom. It's not for you or I to reason why. That's the love of God in Christ. And whether we are in Christ or out of Christ, we are beneficiaries of the love of God. It's a bit of a mystery, isn't it? But it's the reality. But as believers, friends, there are certain benefits that we are entitled to that perhaps those outside the kingdom are not. (laughs) And so it's wonderful, isn't it, that that we we are beneficiaries of God's common grace, but in Christ we are beneficiaries of God's saving grace. And so we are beneficiaries of of even more of the wonders of the Godhead in Christ. If membership has its privileges, then certainly fellowship, discipleship in Christ has its privileges. For instance, if my mind is troubled, then my God is able to give me peace of mind. Hallelujah. Because He's promised to supply All my need. How much peace of mind do I get? Does it contribute to my peace of mind? I might have peace today, but a little unsettled tomorrow maybe. No. He supplies all my peace of mind. Hallelujah. If my heart is broken, then my God is able to mend my broken heart. Hallelujah. If I am lonely, then my God is able to provide me with companionship. He will be for me one, a friend who sticks closer than any brother. These, my friends, and many more like them, are are what, what, what we benefit from as being members of the kingdom of God. God supplies all our needs. Whenever, whatever I need, whenever I need it, God is able. I love the verse in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God. His righteousness. And all these things. Everything else. All these things will be added unto you. The lovely scripture in Deuteronomy 28. Contextually of course it's addressing God's people Israel. But we're grafted into the vine aren't we? It says... Deuteronomy 28, verse 5, 11 through 12, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. I like that. It's speaking of a temporal need. From day to day, God blesses. He goes on, the Lord will grant you abundant prosperity. 
in uh, the fruit of your womb, the, the young of your livestock and the crops of your ground. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, and send rain upon the land in season to bless all the work of your hands. Notice how comprehensive that is. Such is God's supply. Psalm thirty-five twenty-seven says, May those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, The Lord be exalted who delights in the well-being of His servant. Isn't that something? Our God delights in the well-being of His servant. Is this a prosperity gospel I, I advocate? Not at all. Not at all. It's the word of God. To supply all our needs. Not contribute towards them. Supply for them. Hallelujah. Thirdly and finally, I want to reiterate the promise. The supply will never run out. You know, there are people who I come across in ministry who profess to believers, and yet it seems to me, and I've mentioned this already, they doubt God's supply. They see God blessing other people, and then wonder whether God has got enough for them. <laughs> Is God going to run out before He blesses them and meets their need? I remember as a boy, my mother roasting the Sunday roast, the Sunday chicken. I love roast chicken. Still do. Of course, mum would only have a certain amount of each part of the chicken for dinner. There would only be two breasts, two legs, and two wings. That's the way it is. There were certain pieces of that chicken that I preferred over the other pieces. I was always a breast man, I'm afraid. Still am. But in our household, with uh, six hungry mouths to feed, generally it was the first person who got to the table who got the best pieces from the chicken. So my brothers and I, we would have a bit of a scrap when mum said, dinner's ready, bash, bash, bash. And, uh, well, survival of the fittest usually pans out in those circumstances. And uh, our sister always, well, as it happens, she was the last to the table because she was the blue-eyed girl. She seemed to get first choice anyhow. But isn't it wonderful to know, friends, that God doesn't work like that because He doesn't need to. You see, God doesn't have a single chicken and therefore limited to two of everything. Our God is a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, the Scripture says. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? Actually, I don't know. It just means He, he owns everything. He's not strapped when it comes to a chicken. And so we don't have to, 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 to worry about whether we're going to be the first at the table. The invitation to every one of us in Christ equally across the board is come and join me at my banqueting table. And my banner over you is love. As together we join in Christ at the banqueting table, we feast from the delights that are there before us. And it's not the delights of the roast chicken. Oh, that's nice when we go to have chicken later. It's the delights of all the fullness of the Godhead in Christ. 
You name the promise in Scripture. That's that you, something you claim for yourself this morning and feast upon it. Isn't that something? That's this supply. And it'll never, never run out. Hallelujah. Our God is a great God. Why therefore, brethren, do I, do we come across professing Christians who are worrying? I know the enemy is subtle. The world, the flesh, and the devil lay and crouch. And they can cause us to be distracted from our God at times. And like Peter, when he was walking on the water, he was walking on the water. We often forget that, don't we? We give him a hard time, Peter, bless him, because he sank. Let's remember this, my friends. He was at least walking on the water before he took his eyes off Jesus. We take our eyes off Jesus. We become distracted by the affairs of life, the storms of life, as Peter did on the water. And we sink. We worry. We fret. We become discouraged and, and disheartened. And my friends, that's not God's fault, is it? Because God is God. He's not changed. He's immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The same God that made the promise to Israel in Deuteronomy is the same God that makes a promise to you and I today in the 21st century. He is the same God. His supply, it doesn't run out. Everything we see, everything we can comprehend, He owns. Everything we cannot see, everything we cannot comprehend is His. Our God hasn't changed. His supply isn't depleted. The problem, my friends, is when we fret, when we... And I say when because I, I, like you, I'm sure, do so. We've taken our eyes off Jesus. And we're deflected and distracted. We've listened to what the enemy has said. We've watched what we've seen on the news. And all manner of confusion and... My friends, that's not God's fault. It's our fault. We need a fresh this morning to lift up our eyes and focus on Jesus. Why? Because he's the, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Why? Because he's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. Why should we look on Jesus? Because he's the resurrection of life. Why should we look on him? Because he's the good shepherd who's promised to supply all the needs of his sheep. Why should we look at Jesus? Because he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, who has triumphed. Brothers and sisters, why look elsewhere? Except Father in heaven. The psalmist says, to whom else can I turn? You alone have the words of eternal life. But how fickle we are. So quickly we turn elsewhere. So quickly we look inwards. And we fret. And we worry. And we are concerned. And our God looks down from heaven and says, Oh my child, I will supply. I will su not contribute to. I will supply all your needs. 
according to my infinite riches in my son Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? D.L. Moody described this verse as God's blank check. I love that, don't you? God's blank check. I have a checkbook with me. I know for you youngsters, this is something strange and foreign. But we, uh, we oldies used to use these all the time. A checkbook. I promised to pay the bearer thereof. I still got mine. Hardly go through them anymore, do you? In this day and age of backs, payments, and, and all that stuff. I have a checkbook. Do you know something? God's got a divine checkbook. And this checkbook has, has the, the, the company, the bank at the top. This happens to be Lloyd's. And there are other banks available for your requirements. Do you know something? On God's checkbook, the company isn't Lloyd's or HSBC or some other bank. The, the company is Almighty God. Almighty God, it's His bank, hallelujah, and His supply. Gosh, He's got a lot, a lot, hasn't He? He's not going to go bust when the banks collapse, hallelujah. That's something, isn't it? Oh, 2007, was it 2008? We were all fretting, weren't we? The banks were collapsing. Oh, what are we going to do? God was sat in heaven. He was perfectly content because His bank well, it didn't need shoring up by the government, did it? Hallelujah. <laughs> Lloyd's did. Mm-hmm. Less said about that, the better, perhaps. But they need shoring up by the government. Our God's bank doesn't need shoring up. Hallelujah. His bank is safe and secure. He's the, he's the owner of the bank. And, and the promise to pay, it says here, I promise to pay the bearer. The promise to pay, he says, I, I, I will supply all of Doug Atherton's needs, he says. Hallelujah. How much is he going to put in there? He doesn't put a figure in. Because he's not contributing to my needs. He's supplying them. Hallelujah. So, it's, it's, this, is, this is a blank check from God. And then it's down here. This is signed by, by either myself or my wife, usually. It, it really means little or nothing when I sign it. It's very limited. Very limited indeed. But when God signs it in Christ, He, he, signs, he signs God the Father from his, his wonderful bank supplies Doug Atherton with all his needs. And He signs Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Isn't that something? Philippians 4.19 God's blank check to His children. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, friends, how we fret, how we stress, how we worry. And we need not. We just need to pray and trust. And God supplies. Last October, just before my eldest daughter Tina's birthday, I asked her what she wanted for her birthday. She's at that age now, you know, where you can't sort of second guess them. You know, the kind of thing. And me being a bloke, well, I'm not really sensitive to a woman's needs, am I? So I thought, better be safe. I'll, uh, I'll ask her what she wants for her birthday. I, I usually ask her well in advance because it takes her ages to decide. On this occasion, she said, oh, that's easy, Dad. They say, that's easy. She said, oh, what's that, love? A blank check. 
Is that all? I said. My father's looking down upon me. He says, my child, I see your heart. I see your pain. I see your anxiety. I see your worry. This is not, for, this is not my will for you. He says, I'm offering you a blank check. All your needs in Christ Jesus. What about it this morning? What about it? I'm going to take that check. Father, we thank you for this wonderful promise. Wonderful promise. And we want to confess our sin for after times. We do fret. We do worry. We do falter. We do fail. There is a hiatus in, in, in the supply, so to speak, as Paul suffered because of dysfunctionality and disharmony. Forgive us, Father. Have mercy, Lord. We lift afresh our eyes and focus on Jesus. The one who laid down his life that we might have full supply. All that we need. All that we need. Not always what we want. But all that we need. May we rest in this blessed promise. In Jesus Christ we ask. Amen.